Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 105 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is a living legend, the great film actor, some would argue the greatest film actor, Robert De Niro. The 73-year-old has, of course, created unforgettable characters in classic films dating back 50 years. Among them, Mean Streets, The Godfather Part Two, Taxi Driver, The Deer Hunter, Raging Bull, The King of Comedy, Once Upon a Time in America, Brazil, The Mission, The Untouchables, Goodfellas, A Bronx Tale, Casino, Analyze This, Meet the Parents, and Silver Linings Playbook. He won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar for The Godfather Part Two and the Best Actor Oscar for Raging Bull. In recent years, De Niro's filmography has been a bit more hit and miss than it was earlier in his career, prompting some to question his desire and drive, and even whether or not he still has the magic he displayed in the past. But his latest performance, in Taylor Hackford's comedy The Comedian, should put to rest any questions about that. He is terrific as a stand-up comic who long ago starred in a popular sitcom, the shadow and most quotable line of which follow him in all of his subsequent pursuits. Since this character is played by a guy who's uttered quite a few memorable lines himself, not least of all, you talking to me, it offers rich subtext as well. Over the course of our conversation, which is an unusually long one for De Niro, a man of few words when he's not on a film set, we discuss a wide range of topics, from how he first crossed paths with his longtime collaborator Martin Scorsese, to how he got himself in shape and then out of shape to play Jake LaMotta, to what he makes of people who compare his new performances to his old ones, and what he's up to in his other pursuits, such as the Tribeca Film Festival, which he founded after 9-11, and bringing a Bronx tale, the first film he directed, to Broadway. He also opens up about a host of other topics, including the election of Donald Trump, a man he recently said he'd like to punch in the face. All in all, it's a rare and fascinating look into the mind of a legend, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's go to it. All right, Mr. Nero, thank you so much for doing this. Appreciate it. And to begin with, we always just ask, where were you born and raised for the record? And how big of an influence were your parents on you? I just saw a great documentary about your dad and yeah. like, got a sense that it he was a big influence. Yeah, I mean, I was born in New York City in 1943 in the village. My, my parents, they were not against my wanting to be an actor or anything. Because they were artists as yeah, well, right? exactly. When did you first try acting, even if it was just for fun or something silly at school or whatever? Well, when I, when I was 10, I went to acting school on, on Saturdays for about a year or so. And then I lost interest in it until I was about 15, maybe. And then I started studying again when I was 16 for about a year or a year and a half or two. And then I stopped for another year and then went back when I was mid-18 18 and a half or something. In preparing for this, I was reading about those years, I guess, in between 10 and then when it became more serious. And who was Bobby Milk? That was a nickname that I, my friends had given me, yeah. one of a few, but that was uh, <laughs> And that was just because in, in those years when you were still figuring out your interests, it was more just kind of hanging out? No, because I drank milk. Really? I drank, yeah. So what was it that happened at 16 that, that made you decide that this was the path you wanted to pursue? It's funny. I was, I was looking at, there was a movie I was looking at with Sinatra and Shirley MacLaine and uh, I forget, it was like a musical or something or whatever, or semi-musical. I, yeah, I'd say it was uh, 58 or 59 it came out. Mm-hmm. So I was with a friend and uh, we saw the woman I was telling you, I, I want to thinking of going into acting more seriously. And I don't know, so. so basically that entailed... I was watching that for some reason. Yeah. And I don't know why that 
it wasn't from that movie, but it was just I was with a friend and I wanted to tell them. And so. Right. And so now you you that involves leaving high school or leaving leaving school and then going to start studying acting. I or? did I didn't really leave. I wasn't doing well in school, mm-hmm. and so I sort of was going, but not really. I then went to night school with a lot of older people, not from the U.S., who were working in the day and and would take their you know take this uh, high school course. So that way I could go act, go to acting school in the day. Sure. So that's how I did it. But I never really graduated. I just almost got there, but I didn't graduate. I only took the courses that I liked. Yeah. And that was... Well, it's worked out. <laughs> so eventually, I don't know how far down the road after that this was, but I know you studied with both Stella Adler and Lee Strasberg, which mm-hmm. must have given you an interesting perspective on just their contrasting approaches. And I wonder if you can sort of synopsize how were they different what were the things that you took from each of them well as i remember with with uh, i studied at the dramatic workshop which was kind of more uh the the method if you will when i was 16 and and there were some teachers who i then saw later at stella's who would cross over she probably would tell them don't you know do this or that or don't her thing was at Stella Adler, the Conservatory of Acting. It was more uh, not the, it's not a cult of personality type thing where she was accusing the actors from the studio being part of. Yet Brando was, you know, very close to her and he was part of the studio right. or whatever. So it, I don't know where it all, but she felt that it was more healthy just to, you work on a character. You, she had no other person I saw had script breakdown. You'd start with photographs, and you'd see, pick out from photographs what are there to analyze it, yeah. if you will. Like, and that would be the the same thing as doing it to a script. But it also was more to good material, plays, great plays, contemporary or classical, play from everything from Shakespeare to Ibsen to sure. Arthur Miller, Clifford Odets. So that was like a really great course that we took. They didn't have that at the studio, and I uh, and I, when I went to the it was after I went to the studio after Stella Adler, they had more it seemed more uh, long long sort of private moment things and stuff that was good. But I, I felt there had to there should have been more of production doing. Yeah. At the end of the day, you want to do. They did some productions that I I wasn't part of for a while, and I think. Strasberg directed some. I'm, I'm probably wrong, but some somewhere in there, he had a lot to do with it, obviously. So when you emerged into the world of getting your first actual, you know, acting jobs, what were the the things? Could you sort of synopsize the, you know, you've now been fed these different ways of doing things. What is the way if you were to synopsize your own approach? Like, is it how do you start? At the end of the day, you do whatever works. Yeah. Period. Uh, so, no matter what an actor will say, I mean, unless some try to, you try and personalize everything. You you make it your own, as I say. And if thinking about your dead dog is going to work for you, that's what's going to do it. If thinking about whatever you think about, you know, things that you would never think about, but now you can because they're they're supposed to elicit certain feelings in you that you know shame or this or that. You that's the time to do it. Yeah. My understanding is your first few film roles were starting in the, let's say, like mid-60s. And, and I think the first three, or, or certainly among the first three, were with the Palma, right? Yes. And how did you guys first first connect? I just went for an audition in Midtown in an old building. Uh, 
in an apartment that I don't know where I read, and I read for him. Yeah, and you guys kind of hit it off. For yeah, t- I just read for him. I did a monologue from uh, Waiting for Lefty for Clifford Odets, and that was it. And he just used me as you know in the in the wedding party. Yeah, and and even though that one ended up took a while to come out, right? Yeah. <laughs> but there were two others in the meantime, and I read a conflicting accounts of how you then met Scorsese. I read one thing where they're saying De Palma introduced you guys, and then another thing where Scorsese saying he goes to a party at Jay Cook's and Verna Bloom's and recognized you. What was the truth there? No, the truth is that uh, when I was a kid, I'd hang out in certain areas, and Marty had hung out in a certain block, and I hung out out here, <laughs> and we had uh, some kids who would go between the two crews, yeah. if you will. So and I was aware of him. I'd see him. You know, we didn't hang out together. I'd see him. And then l- then later I saw the movie, uh, Who's That Knocking? I said, yeah. this, I'm, and I met him at Jay Cox's house, in yeah. Verna's house. They set up a dinner, we were there, and, and I said, you know, that was great. That was the best movie about that neighborhood and that yeah. world and da-da-da. And then I, you know, because I used to hear about him. He was going to NYU, and our mutual friend would go, and say, yeah, he's doing this over there at NYU. And I, to me, I was like, hmm. But I didn't know he was really, I didn't quite know what he wanted to be a director. Maybe they did. He was working on, like, Arturo Uy or something, mm-hmm. I thought the friend said. But in any case, we talked, and that's where it started. And he was about to cast Mean Streets. We were talking about that. He offered me one of the few parts there. Harvey had the lead. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to make up my mind which one to play. Because you were now coming off of Bang the Drum Slowly at that point, right? Well, no, Bang the Drum Slowly I had shot in like May, (laughs) April, May, June, I think of, I was 27, and I shot that fall when I was 28, Mm -hmm. Mean Streets. So they both didn't come out till about six, about a year later or something. And then one was playing at Cinema One and Two. <laughs> and so I took, and I can't find this picture. I don't, I, I can't believe it. I took a picture with Marty and John Hancock under the marquee. That's at great. One and two. <laughs> now, is it true that with Mean Streets, you and Scorsese actually went back to the streets that you were just referring yeah. to? That's where yeah. it was shot? Yeah. Where you guys basically right first there, yeah. crossed paths. Hmm. So in the making of that movie, was it clear that you guys had hit it off, that you were going to want to work together again? I think, you know, I think so. Then I did Godfather 2, and then I had read, during this, I had read Schrader's Taxi Driver, and they were doing it and talking about it, and Michael and Julia Phillips and so on, and, and I, I loved the script, and we all loved it, so we would talk about when to do it. So then I did 1900 for about seven or eight months in, in Italy, and Marty came over, I think he came over once to talk about it, just have a, a meeting about it, and and that was it. And then, then when I... I went to Cannes for a few days while I was still shooting 1900 in Northern Italy, and he and I went over the script. We were about to shoot, and we were ready. As soon as I wrapped, a few weeks after I was going to shoot, we were going to start Taxi Driver. Yeah. Now, you mentioned in the meantime that in between those was was Godfather 2, and I just am curious, first of all, the origin of that. Originally, you were asked to read, but then they said that wasn't necessary, right? For Godfather 2, I think Marty, the way I understand it, showed Francis some of the Mean Streets footage, he wanted me to come out to San Francisco and read. I said, you know, I'll come out. Then I got a call whenever a week or whatever too later. Don't, not necessary. Yeah. Da, da, da. Well, and is that, a, as you look back, one of the earliest examples of you really just totally immersing yourself in a part? My understanding is here, two years after The Godfather, you're playing the younger version of the character that Brando played. And here, to what extent were you working to to channel the, you know, some of the same characterizations? And also now you have to speak Sicilian? 
Well, I yeah, I mean, I what what we I remember that Gray Fredrickson, one of the producers of Godfather One, he and I went up to the Paramount Building, Gulf and Western, and went to a screening room there, and took out an old uh, recording machine and held, and put the camera on a tripod, and screened the Brando scenes. Uh-huh. And that's how I had it, and I just play them over and over again. And then in terms of learning the, the language? Well, I went to Sicily for a few weeks, and I, I hung out with different people, and i record their voices and, and have them go over the script, and then the Sicilian, and the, the, some who spoke English, I remember they translate what this meant, and da-da-da, uh, so I, I did a lot of that. Yeah. So my understanding was that movie gets done, you're getting this great reception, you win the Oscar, and even after all of this, is it true that it wasn't an immediate impact on your life right after? Were you still collecting unemployment after Godfather 2? I think I was. I could have been. I know I was collecting after Mean Streets yeah. and Bang the Drum Slowly. Yeah. The main thing would have been, though, that it was really Taxi Driver was the one that really changed things? No, Taxi Driver, I didn't, as I remember, I don't think I made much on that. I made like, well, it's not, not much. It's I, I could be wrong. I thought it was... 30,000, 35,000, maybe, yeah. maybe, I'm, I'm, I could be wrong. Well, amazing. And when you had now suddenly become a much more recognized person in the world, did that affect your ability to, to do your job as an actor? I'm not an actor, but it seems to me that a big part of what makes great actors great must be their ability to look at how people behave and mm-hmm. channel that. So if people are now no longer behaving naturally around you, does that affect your, your ability to do your job? Well, they did. Well, the thing is that people... When they know you're doing a movie, even if they don't know you so well or know you well at all, like when I was starting out doing this, like I go down, went down south for Bang the Drum slowly. You're an actor working on something. They want to. It's a movie. They, they. It somehow connects them to uh, immortalization, if you will, yeah. and so that they're very helpful. You, you know, and they want to. I mean, sometimes I guess people try and make it sound more proper or correct than it really is and don't show all the rough edges but in general you you find out a lot and people are very helpful and because of the fact that it's a movie it'll be immortalized there in some way i've always felt it's it it, you know just being recognized more of that that can be more of a getting in the way but at the end of the day it's it's still okay for what i needed yeah so moving along chronologically here, the next big thing would have been Deer Hunter. And I just am curious here, this was also, the, so you're working with Meryl Streep in this one. Yes. First time most people were really seeing her in a movie. I know she'd done Holocaust on TV. A, I'm curious about your overall memories of that movie, but also did you see sort of that you were dealing with somebody who was very special on that movie? Well, I remember going with Mike Cimino to Lincoln Center and seeing her in the Cherry Orchard, and she did a pratfall, some kind of thing with, I think Raul Julia was chasing her or something, and she fell. It was just amazing the way she did it. She was so good. You didn't need any of that for Deer Hunter, <laughs> right. but uh, she was special just by watching her in that performance. Right. But then later on, of course, you know. And the movie overall goes on wins Best Picture. Was that one that while you're making it, you knew you're part of something special? Yeah, I I thought the script was really interesting and good and I liked uh, and Chimino and he'd done a lot of research he showed me all the pictures and we talked and it, it had a great and I'm trying to find it it had a great picture on the, a script it was a photograph of a guy leaning against a white Cadillac with a, his rifle hanging over his arm yeah. and the deer strapped to the hood <laughs> or to the roof right and it was a great picture and deer hunter in red 
And I always thought that that should have been used for the for the poster. Yeah. And I talked to the executive. I said, you, you know, instead of all these faces and antlers and stuff, <laughs> it was a great poster. Yeah. It was on the script. It was on the cover of the script. And that may have sold you even before you... you... Know, I, so this is it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, the steel mills will be... And the smoke was coming up, and he's on, you know, looking down. You know, you're behind him, they're lower. The whole, the whole composition of the shot, as I remember, was... We got to so, find that, yeah. Yeah. So two years later is Raging Bull, and I just have to ask, your your interest in Jake Lamont, I've read, dates way back, like to your childhood even, right? Scorsese's not a sports fan, he he emphasizes. So this yeah. was really you you pushing this on him, right? Yeah. We, he had movies he wanted to do. I had movies I wanted to do. I read the books. A guy named Pete Savage, who worked on the book with Jake, was a friend of Jake's, got in touch with me and sent me the book. And I, I wasn't crazy about the way it was laid, the title. I mean, it's just even the name, but <laughs> whatever. I thought we'd change the name eventually, but right. we didn't. And I read it, and I said, you know, I called Marty. I was in Italy. I was doing a 1900, and I said, there's something interesting about this book. It's got a lot of heart. There's something about it. So, you know, read it and tell me what you think. I might have said, you know, it'd be interesting if he, because I'd see Jake LaMotta in, like, a place on on Broadway as a bouncer, and he was heavy and so on. And he's, the graphic difference between being in shape and, and then all of a sudden so out of shape just... So that's kind of interesting if you can really get that in a real way. I don't know if I had that conversation. Or maybe we could shoot the first part and then the second part when he gains all the weight and do intermediate uh, stuff and be in like where he's gaining some weight. He's out of shape, maybe 15 pounds. Yeah. And so anyway, I might have had that conversation with him too. Just then he read it. We talked, and that's how it started. And in the case of that one, the figures that I read were that you had. You'd put on 20 pounds of muscle and then subsequently 60 pounds of weight. So I guess which was harder to do? Well, I I got lean. I got down to about 152, and I went up to 212. And it was harder to lose the last 20 pounds. It was, yeah. Always, you know. And it was hard to gain after you've gained the first 15, 20, then it's all just hard work. So Scorsese said that Mean Streets and Raging Bull he sees as connected movies. I guess his rationale is that these are two guys who really kind of lived in the moment, your characters in them, and we're not necessarily thinking much about the future, and then it's upon them. And I just wonder, do you see anything to that point? You mean that they're connected as far as the characters and what they I don't. I'm not quite sure where, how, where he was referring to, but I, I got the sense that that was that was. Well, we can move on from yeah. that. Point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, other than they're both Italian. <laughs> that, that might have connected yeah. a few others Maybe. as well. So, Untouchables 1987, you're only in it for 10 minutes, but made a big uh, impression. For you, was this more about just reuniting with this guy who you'd started with all those years earlier with De Palma? No, I mean, Brian, uh, this had been many years later. And Art Linson, the first time we got to know each other and worked together, and he, they got a hold of me. And we had a lot of back and forth and with the negotiation for some reason I didn't want to do it then I said I would do it and, and Bob Hoskins was involved in it and they they had to pay him and and so on but I, I yeah I just no I, I wanted to work with Brian I knew him but uh, this was so many years later it was like not that it was a different person but it was a different thing that I was very comfortable with sure him. After King of Comedy I think it's 83 there was a period of like seven or eight years where you and Scorsese did not Work together, and then yes. it started again. I know with Goodfellas and Casino, and and I think in between, you know, others. But I guess I just wonder 
with those where you're playing those two in particular, where you're playing crime figures again, is that a sort of role just because I guess your screen persona for some people that's you've played crime world guys a few times. Is that type of character one that you particularly enjoy playing or is it just the way things have worked out? I don't know if maybe you grew up. It's a combination of the two. But I'll just say, you know, I wanted to, Marty wanted me to do The Last Temptation of Christ. And we met, we met in Paris. Uh, He came over and we, I was shooting something there and I said, I don't really know if I can connect to, you know, this. And and so he reminded me because I somehow said that I felt bad that it didn't happen. But he said, no, you said you'd do it if I if I didn't have anybody else to do it. And that was, and yeah. So, yeah, so I did. I said, I remember now that I did say, but if you can't get, get it made, then I'll do it. Yeah. I wanted to work with him on Gangs of New York, and we did start, but I had a personal stuff that I just couldn't go sure. to Italy for all that time. Sure. And we should emphasize that while there definitely are a few crime world people. There's also been a lot of comedy. And, you know, throughout the years, I think we mentioned game comedy, which is pretty dark, but then Brazil, Midnight Run, Wag the Dog, and then all the, you know, keep analyzed movies and Fokker movies, and I just, and certainly the David O. Russell movies. And so I just wonder, are you as comfortable and and do you enjoy as much doing comedy as drama, or do you have a personal leaning? I, li- I like if if it's a drama that has comedy in it, if you will, a dramedy, whatever. I, I whatever whatever works. I'm I'm gonna do this movie, uh, War with Grandpa. It's based on a book that was required reading in some schools. I, the, they told me the producers. Told me. Mm-hmm. It's a very sweet story, you know, about the very simple story. And they have a couple of set pieces for the heightened comedy and stuff. But yeah. I I look forward to doing that. It's a comedy, I guess. A kid, even. Uh, kind of a kids, there's kids in it, and the general double generation gap, and so on. So the you balance know. of the, the you, where they can have elements of both is, yeah. is nice. And when you go to the movies, what are you more often than not go to see? Oh, well, I like to see there's certain movies. I, I just have been so busy that I don't see a lot of movies yeah. now. Wish I could. Only when, with the festival, and that's even hard. I yeah, see the best ones that they say you should really watch these. You know, yeah. Because I always, I always love to watch movies. So with The Comedian, which I, I saw yesterday and thought it was great, I, I have to ask you, how did you first hear about it, and, and what drew you to it? Art Linson and I, about seven or eight years ago, were talking. We're going to do a character like The Comedian. Uh, just you know, the idea that a guy can, you know, be no bullshit, just do his thing and so on. It, it gives <laughs> you a certain latitude. And I told him about The Entertainer mm-hmm. because he saw it, and then he looked at it. He wasn't aware of it for some reason. But that wasn't, I just look at that as a reference point. Yeah, with Olivia, right? Yeah, so it just evolved into what it was. We have, have arguments about this, Art and I, about the thing in the at the roast with May. Yeah. I won't give it away, because, yeah. you know, but I always said that was my idea, and I never do this. I never make claims to <laughs> well, you. What's your idea? Fine. Right. But I, he said, no, no, I, no, I remember, because that's one of the things I love, this this scene, you know, <laughs> it's the irony of it. With Clara's leech and everything. Yeah, 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 so, and what happens. But we were, we've were we worked on this and met and were attached to certain directors that didn't work out and different iterations uh, of the script and so on, art always being the spine of it and the, the whole thrust of it. And finally we got Taylor, and I'm happy we did because he, he did a really, I think he did a terrific job. Yeah. Do you feel that maybe... Maybe not even consciously, but maybe consciously. Did you look at this character and say, on a certain level, I can relate to this guy in the sense that he is constantly, you know, even as he continues to forge ahead and do creative, interesting things, 
people like me are always bothering you about your past work because it's been so good. And I know that in the same way that he's asked to go on and on about Arlene or whatever the yeah. line is, I'm, I mean, you probably can't go a day without you talking to me. So is that something you can, you tapped into? Yeah, I mean, I understand it. But I think with him, it's this that he got locked into a character for so long. And I don't know if this is true of the actors who've been like Archie Bunker and Jackie Gleason because they're like comics and I don't know if they're act so maybe maybe Archie what's his name who played Archie Bunker oh yeah Carol O'Connor Carol O'Connor maybe was an actor so that was something that you know he part of him might have regretted or I don't I have no yeah, idea yeah. I never I don't know as an actor if you're stuck in that situation it's really bad and you come out you know, people will always think of you as that as a comedian it's bad also, depending on how you look at it. I guess just the idea that he's constantly reminded every day with these quotes or whatever, uh, it's, got, it's clearly a, a pain in his ass. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I don't mind it because I get quotes from other things besides you talking to me. So right. I, I'm flattered in some ways. <laughs> you got a few of them. Yeah, you don't, they can mix it up at least. In, in what ways do you think today you're a different actor than you were when you were first breaking through? Are there things that are, have changed for the better, for the worse, what, as you analyze yourself, what do you find? I'm different in certain ways that I don't spend as much time on certain things that I would have concerned myself more about when I was younger because I don't feel that I need that much time and effort in it, and other things are still the same. When Spielberg was a guest on this podcast, I said, do you feel that there's an unfair standard sometimes where rather than, you know, a guy who's never made a movie before is judged solely on that movie. Whereas in a way, people that have done so much great work like you guys are almost always, every time you do something, it's, it's, you've set the bar so high in the past, you feel that it's unfair where people are comparing it to, you know, they're saying, well, this is not, not referring to the comedian, but you know, let's, whatever it is, it's not Raging Bull, but it's very good. I mean, what is Raging Bull? So, I mean, do you feel that there is sometimes a unfair standard that you guys have to meet? Or that you have to meet? No, I, if someone said that, I'd say, well, look, I, I, I'm happy I did Raging Bull. If that's the only thing you think nothing compares, fine. I, you know, I, <laughs> you know, at least I did one or two. Or three. <laughs> <laughs> what keeps this Scorsese? I believe you're doing another one yes. soon with Scorsese, the Irishman, yes. and Pacino for the first yes. time with him, with Scorsese and Pacino. And is Pesci back as I'm well? Tr- I'm trying to get him in. Yeah. I hope I can. I don't know what will happen. <laughs> you know, he's still wavering a little bit. I don't know. I, I, we've got to talk about right. it very so, soon. Yeah. So what keeps that relationship going, though? Is it, It's got to have evolved a little bit over the years. What what keeps that? From- well, I could have. I also would have done The Departed if I wasn't working on Good Shepherd and I couldn't take the time to play because he, he asked me if I want to do it. I would have loved to do it with him. So those would have been things that I would have, sure. over the years, three projects that I would have... Um, done with him the departed uh, gangs of new york and last temptation last temptation and when you see this additional bond that he's formed also with dicaprio does it kind of bring back memories of when you guys were starting out yeah sure in certain ways and that's great i mean uh, leo loves marty the, the way i do so it's it's great i'd love for the three of us to do something yeah that'd be cool now when you you mentioned good shepherd before are you going to direct again? I love The Bronx Tale. Then it was 13 years you, you had between that and Good Shepherd. Are you going to keep not 13 more years after Good Shepherd, please? Well, I, I wanted to do a sequel to it, and it was I was waiting on a script with Eric and this and whatever. We didn't. I'd love to do it, but it, it, it's a real uphill battle 
getting it going, getting the actors, getting them. Uh, it's just, it's a lot of, it's a, it's a real struggle. And you don't have a lack of other things going on. I think we I, should note that on top of all the acting, the Tribeca Film Festival in now 15 years has, yes. has been terrific. And just for the record, the thing that really sparked that was you personally witnessed 9-11 happening, right? Yeah. Because yeah, you were living down there. I was there. living down there. I saw it out my window. And and you said this is we got to get the well we it, it evolved we were talking about doing a festival Jane and I at one point but this was a couple of months earlier just what if the yeah, what what would that be and da 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 and then after this nine eleven we the neighborhood was really depressed and down depressed meaning not functioning it wasn't it was just uh, and we thought this might be the time to do something like this that's been great and that's what and also uh, you have, I know, maintained a, a great interest in politics and culture and all of that. And I think you spoke for a lot of us recently about Mr. Trump. Can you believe now here we are two days afterwards and we're talking about President-elect Trump? What does that say about us? I know. I, I, I was saying to someone, I feel, like I, I feel like I did after 9-11. And we'll just see what happens. We'll see what happens, but there'll be many, 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 many people watching. Yeah, it's it's disappointing. And so the last three are very brief, just sort of takeaways, and then we're done. Uh, I just have to ask, if someone had never seen a Robert De Niro performance and could only see one for whatever reason, which would you want them to see? It, it depends what they want me to, you know, in other words, like an actor goes for a part. Right. you got to know, you've got what to. What they're looking for. Right? What they're looking for. So then you should see this. Can, see can we frame it a little differently then? Is there a way to say that you are proudest of one well, people ask me that in a certain way, and I always, I never like to differentiate because I worked hard on everything. So sure. it's like, this is oversimplifying. It's like children, you don't want to say. Right. It's like a superstitious thing. It's sure. not your children, but they just don't want to. Here's, well, a, here's a different thing. hypothetical then. If you had never become an actor, what do you think you would have done with your life? I don't know. I don't know. No idea? No. I mean. Suspicion? Any suspicion? Uh, <laughs> It's too personal for me. To okay, know. sure. And then finally, having basically achieved everything that an actor can achieve, you've received every accolade, everybody thinks you're the, the greatest. I wonder, is there something left that you specifically are hoping to do? You know, what keeps you doing this? I, you know, what else am I going to do? I enjoy doing what I do. I'm also co-directing with Jerry Zachs, A Bronx Tale as a musical. Oh, that's great. I mean, Jerry's really doing the heavy lifting, but I'm... This will be for like I'm Broadway like, or something? Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So it's in previews now. So And that's basically sort of just a passion project. That yeah, yeah. I always felt it would be a terrific musical, so we finally are getting it going. That's great. And would you ever be in it? No, I can't be in it. I mean, I can't sing. I wish I'd... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. I really appreciate it. <laughs> 